What if someone could walk out of their dream and into yours? What if they could use your dreams against you without you ever knowing? This Thursday, USA Network presents Falling Water, a new original drama where the battle for your dreams is real and happens while you sleep. Because those who can control dreams can control the world. Brought to you by the producers of a couple of our favorites, The Walking Dead and Homeland, Falling Water is a new original series that airs Thursdays at 10, 9 central, only on USA Network. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan and I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, resuming improvisation mode, it's Andy Greenwald! Resume the loop! What's going on, man? Are you a bot? I feel like a bot today. Chris, you know, we're going to talk about But is Westworld. this just your programming to pretend to be tired? We're going to talk about the new Amazon fire show goliath (laughs) with your man billy bob thornton wait you make it sound like it's you know the amazon fire is a product i watched it on my amazon fire stick oh that was some that was some subtle subtle branding yeah okay but i do want to say you you asked if i was also talking about westworld today and we will be joined by jason concepcion to talk about some westworld theories you're doing the business i'm just getting it out of the way i feel like someone changed our programming last night chris because i'm here in california and i was awoken in the middle of the night by a very strange sound a a susurration (laughs) on the roof tiles rain got you woke it rained here yeah that was weird but on the so on the downside i didn't really get any sleep but on the plus side drought's over did you ever use drought's not over we're all gonna (laughs) die out here um of thirst uh, That's why we do a podcast twice a week because yeah. we're so thirsty. <laughs> so, Andy, last night before we so we're going to talk about Goliath later, but last night, third episode of Westworld, mm-hmm, the Stray, the Stray, um, largely, it was interesting. This is was very like the, the, I I am I remain impressed by how many different balls this show can juggle because it'll it, it really does dedicate quite a bit of time to so many different characters, mm-hmm. uh, and I I thought it was you know. You know It'll be really interesting to keep watching this show, knowing about like I I'm, I think my main enjoyment. This is what we're really going to talk to Jason about it. Is that the the sort of extracurricular part of the show? Yes. All the talk about it. I still don't. I don't think I'm like emotionally involved in it, right. but I am intellectually stimulated by it. Um, and I also find it to just be pretty pleasant to watch. I think that's interesting. I find this to be a chore and a half to watch. Okay, I find it to be a really hard slog to get through it i think um what you're talking about and i look forward to talking to jason about this is real i think the the thirst if you'll allow it yeah to engage with a show with that extracurricular uh level of mania and obsession like a lost like a game of thrones is a real thing and um you know and, and it's one of the most fun things about television and it's i was gonna say it's interesting that there aren't more shows out there aiming to hit that sweet spot. But yeah. I think the truth is, and I think as someone who's not as into it as you are, um, I think Westworld proves how hard it is to program specifically for that because you can't just write a show to make Reddit threads. Right. You, you have to have a TV or show. Or can you? Well, I think they're working on it because as you, as, you, as you said, from a more positive perspective, I think the emotional engagement in the show is, is, is slim to none. Um, one note, speaking of Game of Thrones, I think anytime you can get the god Neil Marshall to direct an episode. He's the guy who directed the Battle of Blackwater. Sure. The first w- truly widescreen episode of Game of Thrones. I mean, the show was good before that, but that was the episode where everyone stood up and was like, oh my God. Anytime you can get that guy behind the camera to direct a 20-minute two-hander with Anthony Hopkins talking about a guy named Arnold, you got to do it. If you can go back in time and have, uh, you know, Lion in Winter era Anthony that, Hopkins. Or was he in Beckett? I can't remember. But, you know, like young young Anthony cool. Hopkins is in the building. That was cool. There are these little moments, almost throwaway moments, like the de-aged Tony Hops. Mm-hmm. The the threading of the eyeball scene. Yes. I really like that because that was the kind of thing. Because, again, a lot of the goodwill that I still have for the show comes from a extracurricular understanding, not of the theories, but of the care and obsession that went into the making of it, right? So this is a show that has given some thought to how they made eyeballs on the robots. That's pretty cool and pretty interesting how to communicate that with a a large cast advancing a number of different plots at once is an open question. You bring up Game of Thrones, and I think it's a good comparison because one of the things that Game of Thrones did, especially in the beginning, the the first few seasons, was it would set up an archetypal character, whether it was like Rob or Ned, um, and then it would 
knock that archetype down. It mm-hmm. would say, you know, all this all this history that you have, this learning that you have about how stories should work tells you that this person should be the king or that this person should get the girl or whatever. Prince Charming is going to get stabbed in the heart. Exactly. So I think that Westworld's doing somewhat of the same thing with the Western genre. It's just being a lot more um, meta about how it goes about it. And I think part of that is because you have this idea of storylines within the show, quote unquote, within the park, you know, um, so you have people who are literally writers, uh, whether they're writing code or writing narratives for these characters, who are working on giving characters motivation. And one of the things that's kind of... You know, there's a suspension of disbelief that happens when you watch a Western where you just sort of accept, well, this person is seeking revenge against this person or this person is carrying a grudge about something. And that was my favorite part of last night's episode was Anthony Hopkins giving James Marsden this backstory that was really interesting. You know, like if you just were like, here's this is in a Cormac McCarthy novel, Mm -hmm. I'd be like, oh, this is pretty cool. But it's instead it was like it's all puppet master work yeah. and that in a sense is what television is anyway yes. and I, I kind of I, I, so what I what I mean when I say I, I'm really enjoying it intellectually what I think I'm seeing is more I don't think of Jonah Nolan and Lisa Joy as doing traditional showrunner work or traditional television writer work even though that's obviously what they're doing too as much as they are like the game makers and we are playing a game too yeah. while watching this so there's the game that Jimmy Simpson plays because he's just arrived. There's the game that Ed Harris wants to play because he's a veteran and he thinks that there's a next level and obviously he has his own motivations. There are the games played by the hosts who are basically told what their objectives are but are starting to question slash remember past objectives. And then there's the watcher. There's the audience who are watching watching the show and much like, I mean, you got your start writing about Lost. Like, as soon as the episode ends, people are Googling Orion to see what the significance of that constellation right. might be on these characters. They're they're looking up what um, th- what that maze could mean, what the man in the middle of the maze could be. They are like wondering whether this is so. So I'm going to tell you something right now. Oh. this 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 can go right into Jason if you want, or if you want to shoot back. Actually, why don't you? you I, I, clap I, back I feel for like you have to clap back here. So you clap back. First of all, I, I should say that I got my start writing about Lost in crazed emails to people. Those right. were not published. Right. <laughs> right. Not. You're I the original redditor. <laughs> I wish I'd got a chance to write about Lost, other than the one time for Grantland. Um, one other bit of business I did want to say, since we we keep doing it. And we got some questions about this. Jonah Nolan, Jonathan Nolan, Christopher Nolan's brother, prefers to be called Jonah Nolan. This yeah. is public record. This is important stuff. We are not belittling him. Did you or not him write about Lost? I only wrote about Lost once. Uh, yeah, I didn't start writing about TV till uh, Friday Night Lights for Vulture. Oh, I thought you ended Lost for Vulture. I mean, I, I, I wish I had ended. No, Emily Emily Nussbaum wrote about a recap Lost and was anti-Lost at the end. Oh. But she was the TV critic for, for, for New York Magazine. How did I miss that? Because I talked to you about Lost a lot. And God, you were like... Mid-aughts were so weird. You're like, these thoughts are appearing in my... It was like the, it was like the written voicemail that Elsie, or whatever anyway, her name is, my, left. My apologies for... Um, I, I, think that, I think that what you're saying is extremely accurate and extremely clever. My concern is it might be too clever by half. Because okay. if my concern about the show, my big picture concern about the show, is that... Um, I don't really care about programmed robots and whether they feel or not and how they feel about being made to feel. The correct counter is that's what television is. You're exactly right. right. So, you know, the, so this weekend, and by the way, I know uh, Ringer Editor-in-Chief Sean Fennessy's favorite thing that we do in this podcast is refer to past tweets. <laughs> so I'm just going to bracket it by that because there's nothing cooler than podcasting about a tweet you made. Um <laughs> I, I I tried to do the thing that Twitter is, which is reduce a larger thought into something pithy in 140 characters, which is to say someone asked me if I really liked Atlanta more than Westworld. And of course, you can like both. That's 100 percent. OK, I give you permission. But I like Atlanta more if I was going head to head. And yeah. I said the reason being I the question, why do uh, or can what if robots were human is less interesting to me than what if humans were human? And I think that the the emotional um anarchy and creativity and engagement of Atlanta is superior because these are people going about their lives in the surprisingly quirky, quote-unquote, unprogrammed way of people. Now, that show is written. It's also made up. So playing with that idea of creation and performance and narrative and, and how the fact that all of this is phony. And we always, and it's something that we never really talk about when we write, we do arts criticism, or we should do more maybe, which is, it's a performance. It's written. And this idea of quote-unquote truth being yeah. a, a deciding factor in whether it's good or not, 
always has to have an asterisk. Next yeah, I to mean, it. we were just having a conversation uh, among Ringer staffers, and Claire McNear brought up the idea of like, why well, I, I hate the idea that uh, Jeffrey Wright needed to have this dead son as a motivating factor. I, I you mean, you mean his son Charlie, who recently died. By the way, totally normal way for human beings to introduce a character. So my name's Chris Ryan. I'm 38 years old, and I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And this is what I believe. Yeah. This show is not happening on planet Earth, and Jeffrey Wright is 100% a robot, and that son. It's, it was never there. Wow. Yeah. Is that on? Is that on? Is that on the boards? Is that on the boards? I think it's being talked about. Yeah. But I, I, first of all, that the way that Anthony Hopkins says that to him sounds like a Manchurian t- candidate style. Like this is a command. Second of all, yeah. When he goes to call Gina Torres, yeah. and he's like, I have a hard time getting a line out here. Yes. That makes it sound like they basically have to line up satellites so that he can call back to another planet. Well, or the, Third of right, all, he talks about how he wakes up in the morning and he basically describes the way Dolores wakes up, where she wakes up and she doesn't know, she forgets everything for yes, a minute. Well, when, when his wife or former wife says, I don't believe it's real, yeah. that is what the show is. Yeah, that's... Right. This is kind of an amazing um, machine that uh, Nolan and Joy have built here because its construction actively rebuts criticism in a creative way. So what I'm saying is, so I, I I watch that scene, the Hopkins and and um, Jeffrey Wright scene, and I watch it as a credulous viewer, mm-hmm. and I was like, this whole scene from a right written perspective is bullshit to me because it is absolutely telling, not showing. This is a long, long speech about something we didn't know about. It mm-hmm. seems pulled completely out of whole cloth to manipulate the audience, Arnold. Or whatever, uh, you know, and and Hopkins delivering it, and very few actors could deliver that speech and have me believe it. He, I believed it, and up to that point where he said, "You are still taking the news of your of the death of your son, comma Charlie, comma hard." People don't talk like that. But what you're suggesting here, and I I like, is that these were all this is all this is an intentional staginess, right? That all of it is what Hopkins does. That Hopkins was speaking to him the way that he speaks to the robots, where he speaks in these clear declarative sentences yes. that control people. Yeah, where he's like going to analytical mode. So I think that's a great counter. It doesn't make me enjoy watching the show more, but it makes me like the idea of it more. And, and one tra- of the things I wanted to say to yeah. sort of um, a larger parenthetical caveat around my criticism is I like the ambition of the show. Yeah. I feel like it is definitely a losing gambit to tear down everything because I don't like the way it's being delivered or I'm not enjoying it. First of all, because as you're saying, I don't see the whole picture yet, and we don't. And there's definitely curiosity still still in me. That that still exists. But, you know, it, if you try to pull back from the Sunday night watching experience and try to think of this as part of the larger continuum of television, mm-hmm. I want them on that wall taking these swings because even if this doesn't work, they got to play with this budget and with these actors and with these ideas and then maybe it'll work next time. So they, they're playing with, they have a little more runway to go. Like, say, three, four more episodes. And maybe even to the whole first season. And there is going to be, just because, I mean, like, this is how storytelling works. There will be a reveal, either at the end of this season or whenever, that illuminates whether or not we live in a world where, like, robots are enslaved outside of Westworld. And that's why people are comfortable doing this. And we've, like, gone back to that or something. Like, there's going to be some sort of reveal about what is happening outside the wall like the boundaries of this company and when we get that that will either change everything we saw the first season or make it all feel a little bit less consequential than we thought it might be i I still think i I still think they needed to make it more pleasurable and i think that often you know for people who are Visionaries. I don't even mean that to be a loaded word that means genius. I mean, mm-hmm. people who are, have a larger vision that they're trying to enact. Of course, you lose sight of the trees for the forest. And, you know, if you're doing something this big and this ambitious, the trick is always going to be making you care about the, the minutiae, the day-to-day, as opposed to the bigger ideas. I think so far, to judge the show solely on that standard, it, it's failed. Right. Um, it is ponderous and slow and so 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 serious um that it makes the 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 minute to minute tough and it and it makes it it leads you sometimes to ask interesting bigger questions which we're going to get into with jason and also some kind of more pedantic ones that i think would take you out of the realm of of fiction like the woman who goes on the bounty raids with teddy 
who seems like a good hang. She seems like a quality hang. She seems like a good good sport. Yeah. She will probably have full stop PTSD due to what happens to her and Teddy in the woods with Emmett's dudes who are on some sort of like post Colonel Kurt's death cult, right? Oh, Wyatt? The, is that the... Yeah, when they're out on the yeah. searching the backstory. Like the level of what people are being asked to endure psychologically. In I the think name those of guys are actually guests. Fun. Well, right. Well, so this is, we don't know this. Yeah. But so that makes an interesting narrative question, but then it allow it, you know, it, you, it's very easy to get lost in the weeds of like, wait, what did this person pay for? Right. Well, that that's actually perfect. So let's call Jason because Jason has a lot of thoughts on, on that. Okay. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Uniqlo. Uniqlo offers the latest women's, men's, and kids' clothing and accessories. And you can check out some of the clothing on uniqlo.com and talk about items you like. Uniqlo's approach to clothing is simple with a not-so-simple purpose. It's to make your life better. This winter, stay warm with their line of Heat Tech clothing. Choose Heat Tech for regular winter wear and Heat Tech Extra Warm for those really cold days. Undershirts, tights, socks, scarves, hats, fleeces, and even pants that fit seamlessly into your everyday life. Products fit slim and not bulky, and the moisture-wicking fabric retains heat and also features anti-odor properties to keep you feeling fresh even when you sweat. The Camellia Oil Moisturizer adds comfort for dry skin. So check it out now. Go to Uniqlo.com or find a Uniqlo store near you. That's U-N-I-Q-L-O.com. Uniqlo, lifewear, simple made better. And we are also brought to you today by Sonos. You guys know Sonos. Maybe you're listening to us on a Sonos right now. That's a smart speaker system that streams all your favorite music to any room or every room, and you can control your music. And by the way, all your music, Apple Music, Spotify, your own personal collection, podcasts, radio. I like to listen to radio. You can control all of it from one app seamlessly and easily in one room or any room. I got to tell you, here's a little personal testament to this. Three people live in my home, two adults, one kid. We all want to listen to different things or we want to switch between them. Maybe the wife wants to listen to NPR. Maybe I want to listen to Schoolboy Q. Maybe your child wants to listen to reggaeton. Usually she does. Sometimes she just wants that gasolina and I can switch seamlessly between those things or we can go to separate rooms to listen to what we want to listen to and we can control it all through one easy Sonos app. It's a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying it. You should check out Sonos. It is the best way to discover music. Okay, so now we're joined by Jason Concepcion. Jason, I, you're known as the maester yeah. when we talk about Game of Thrones. Are you the, sure. are you the tap minder? Are you the saloon keeper now? Like, what is, oh. What's your Westworld title? <laughs> oh. uh, the Smythe? Uh, I guess I'm like the, the field guide. <laughs> I'm like the scout. Yeah, you're the scout. That's good. What, what color hat do you wear in this extended metaphor? You know what? I don't know what I'd wear. I think I'd probably wear like some kind of like uh, Native American headband. Yes. I don't want to like hew too closely to these like colonial, you know, modes. Yeah, you also don't want to just be. We don't have to wear a black or white hat, man. There are shades of gray in Westworld. Also, I'm wearing chaps. That's so true. <laughs> That's we'll just, it, though. <laughs> we'll just take it from there, Jason. We need you. We need you to bring back. The one thing that is missing from the HBO television show Westworld, which is fun. <laughs> this show, the thing that Chris and I were just talking about, um, basically, was it does feel like a lot of the highlights of the Westworld experience, the TV show not actually entering into this porn park, is happening offline, so to speak. It's <laughs> happening not during the, the watching of the show, but in the deep dives and the research and the theories outside of the show. I agree with that. I mean, it feels like one of the, it feels like they've weaponized theorizing in a way. I can't tell if that's just the way, quote unquote, we watch television now, or if that's something that they really just tried to put in there. But it feels like right off the bat, you know, it's like, who's a robot? Who's not a robot? Are they on Mars? Are they on a space station? Are they underground? Um, You know, is, who is Ford? Is Ford Geppetto? Um, Did they have to hire that's the, really the, most, uh, the, that's the heretofore the unknown third Hemsworth brother to play the security guy? <laughs> like, like <laughs> I, uh, I thought that really was I, for the Hemsworth. first two episodes. I thought that was Mike from Homeland. Oh, first of all, <laughs> that would I would have loved to see Mike from Homeland getting work, but no, it's just it's just another Hemsworth brother. I think. Do you think it would be actually the biggest surprise of this would be is if Shannon Woodward's character. Uh, is is a robot? I she's my favorite character on yeah. the show because she actually does seem to have some personality or point of view. Um, I think in this episode, didn't she say like, "Oh, that's why I use sarcasm as a shield," which yeah. is again totally normal human thing to say when you're when you're just having a conversation with a workmate. But 
I feel like the show needs more of her, and so that would be a particularly cruel reveal if that was the case. So, Jason, we were just talking a little bit about whether or not um, how how much this show can really get away with before it has to start showing some of its cards, because right now it's got a lot of momentum going. Both, I think, I think it's you know, criticisms aside, is largely popular because it's a it's a puzzle to figure out in a lot of ways but the problem with puzzles is eventually you finish them or you know you realize oh it's a waterfall and i can just fill in the rest of the stuff here so the longer we go with all these questions the harder it's going to be for them to come up with an answer that seems as significant as all the scholarship that goes into it but in the meantime it does seem like a lot of the choices that they're making are actually thought through like the uh, like the what do they call the arroyo that she the little girl tells the man in black where the maze starts like Mm -hmm. i read a whole reddit theory this morning about like what that means in relationship to orion and ancient mayan maze literate like stuff so jason i mean like where are you at with some of these theories uh to be honest the theorizing is a lot less interesting to me than kind of like trying to figure out the gameness, like how, how much of the video gameness is meant, is intentional and is not intentional. I, the thing that I can't, uh, I'm really enjoying the show. Like if you tell me, hey, robots in a theme park and people kill them and uh, there's a lot of like uh, sex and weird shit that goes on, I, I'm all for it. Um, but at the same time, it's like it feels as if um, – this was a script that could have been written like in 1970 and you could have just like put it in a bottle and then, and then wrote it now. I, like, I don't understand how people don't uh, go on Reddit and be like, Oh, I just went to Westworld and here's an anonymous. You know, like I, I just started this anonymous account. Um, I just spent $3 million at Westworld AMA. <laughs> like, you know, like why, why doesn't that stuff happen? Like why is Jimmy Simpson like, Oh man, this is weird. Like, so what do we do now? I, you know, like I barely leave the house without watching twenty YouTube yeah. videos about stuff, and I feel like this is kind of there's a lot of really cool philosophy and thought, and you know, like the ideas about consciousness, and forget about the fact that it's like marginally more interesting than like Joss Whedon's take on the danger room becoming sentient in like astonishing X-Men in 2001. Like <laughs> that's a big, there's big deep thoughts, pull from you right it, there. There's no, there's no grounding. Like in a, I need it to be grounded in some kind of uh, actual life to understand like, what is my perspective here? Like I, is, is Jimmy Simpson the weirdo? Like, is he strange for not wanting to kill I, robots? Or I, is, I completely yeah. agree with you. And I, but I do think that the risk here is that, there are certain threads that if we pull them, the whole thing comes apart. And I wonder if that's one of them, purely because for a show like this to exist, you need the kind of naive white hat character to be discovering it, to be the audience surrogate into what's possible. And like, that's just, they just need that. But there are these other questions too that I just keep getting hung up on. Like if Dolores's mission every day is to wake up, go to town, meet Teddy, go back, get raped. Basically, that's her day. That's the loop that but we actually like. That that's Jeffrey the thing Wright that happens at the end to. of the third episode is that it's unclear what actually happens in that. I don't mean like it's unclear what happens to her. I mean, there's obviously like a corruption of that program. Right. But my question is just in terms of the experience, are people arriving for a set amount of time and then new people come in or so or are you there for three days? And every day that you're there, uh, Dolores has that same day. And if you go along with her the first day, does that mean no one else can do it the second day? Does that mean you could do, spend every day there rescuing Dolores? Or does the, prog- the programs keep looping until someone engages See, with See, I kind of thought that the loops were more like on a... like I, I, In my imagination, when I'm watching it, I imagine that there are basically... People come for X amount of days... I know it says like it's 40k a day, but let's just say like people come for a week and you come in and then everything you do there has like a knockdown effect, a cascading effect on the narratives. Right. right. But that Dolores is on a loop, but not necessarily a daily loop. I think they do. We get a little confused because it shows her waking up. But that if, say, Jimmy Simpson had decided to ride out to her farm, you know, if Jimmy Simpson rescues her, 
then it's not going to actually, she's going to wake up the next day in her bed and be like, I I forgot everything that happened. It goes along Jimmy Simpson's loop. That, but I don't even know. I and mean, that's just my. And, and then what is, but then do people have secondary loops? Because then if Teddy doesn't pick up the condensed can of the can of condensed milk, what does he do? Right. You know, it's so. Well, because the man in black did it once though, right? Right. So, the, but again, these are the questions that I feel like the show is inviting us to go granular and go deep. But it kind of doesn't sustain. It doesn't want us to go this deep because then we get caught in feedback loops and we're not actually appreciating what it's choosing to show us. And to a certain degree, we can also spend our disbelief, right? Because uh, Jeffrey Wright keeps pulling her out to have these heart to hearts. So then what's happening with her loop when she's not there? And then when does he put her back and who notices and who doesn't notice her? Like, what is that? that, There's no point. That's not enjoying the TV show at that point. So. So let's go. Let, let's let's do this. Run through some of these these other. Well, thoughts Jeffrey to me. Wright being a robot is a big one. I think Jason and I both agree that he is right. Yeah, he's. I, I agree. Okay, he's one hundred percent a robot. It just it feels like Ford's uh, the way Ford said, you know. And I know that the death of your son has been weighing heavily yeah. on. Like that felt very much like the way he talks about the robots motivation. And it was also like a a command prompt almost. And then apparently, like I haven't noticed this, but I've read about people saying that like, if you watch scenes where Jeffrey Wright is in offices or walking through labs or whatever, people treat him differently than they do others. Like basically like people are aware of who he is. Also, how about the fact that Mm. he's sleeping with the woman, right? The The the, woman from Borgen. The woman from Borgen, whose job I don't quite get. Um, She's the sort of representative of the quote unquote shareholders. Right. But she is essentially, but if, 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 to go along with what you guys are saying, your theory, the she's board. basically using him for sex the same way people in Westworld use robots. And when he says, I had bad dreams, she's like, I don't give a fuck about your dreams. Yeah, exactly. That's the way people talk right. to the robots. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm in on this one. I like it. So it, then it there's the isolation of the people who seem to work there and how they all seem kind of basically trapped there and are like, when are you rotating, having a hard time calling out? It's obviously underground, but Jason, do you think it's happening on Earth? Uh, I've I've changed my mind about this like 15 times. As of last night, I believe that it's some sort of planet and or space station. Okay. To be clear, um, you said planet. Bernard calls it a planet. Bernard refers to it as a planet at one point. He says all life on this planet evolved because of a mistake. And, and, and Jason, uh, you said planet and slash or space station not planet endor where ewoks run free right yeah that would be dope if actually this whole thing is run by ewoks yes and and this is this is like what happens a hundred years after jedi there's always another level a a cowboy theme park for their own amusement to watch humans destroy each other first of all i never trusted ewoks (laughs) i never ever trusted them they're like they're way too merry yeah Considering the circumstances, you know, I I think that that is absolutely within the realm of possibility. I feel like an Ewok will just root in your trash. An Ewok will cut you. Yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah. They're they're like, they're religious fundamentalists, the Ewoks. Yeah. You have to watch out for them. Crossed with like raccoons. Yeah. Crossed with with Teddy fucking Ruxpin. Yeah. I'm not into him at all. You've totally swayed me. I never trust, I never liked them when I first saw the movie. And then like, as soon as I saw it for the first time... I was basically like skip every time Ewoks came on. So you just didn't watch the third movie. I just, wow. I, I, the f- third movie mm-hmm. is fine, but it peaks with the Luke somersault <laughs> off of the the prison transporter. Uh-huh. That is the coolest shit I have ever seen in my life. Wow. Did you guys? Did you guys didn't ever think that that was the dopest thing ever? I mean, I, I, that was definitely the moment when you're like, oh wow, Luke can do stuff now. Yeah. Like when he first shows up and he like chokes the guard oh, i forgot like, the he has them, he oh they're, when they're on the floating skiff yeah and r2 shoots the yeah. lightsaber and he does like the flip yeah that's dope yeah come on man that is cool yeah and then after that it just goes downhill it goes downhill like boba fett into the pit of sarlacc <laughs> um jason what are some other theories that you you're, you're playing around with or that you've read about that you like uh i like i don't necessarily subscribe to the theory that jimmy simpson is uh the man in black but younger but I do think there might be some playing around with the timelines. There almost has to be, just like the, what Andy was saying about we don't know how the loops work and how um, what the knock-on effects of talking to a host is. Um, but there was that moment when 
they first went down to cold storage and you see like the globe in the Delos, like the old Delos lobby. Yeah. Um, and it does look a lot like the station that Jimmy Simpson gets off the train at. So I don't know if he's Ed Harris. I don't think he is. I lean very heavily towards him not being, but it does seem like that is the lobby that we saw. Isn't uh, it the decommissioned lobby that we saw in the earlier episode? Isn't it tricky though? Because, and again, we don't, fully know what we're seeing and 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 there's a lot of wiggle room here but if 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 we are trying to track this episode last night's episode um narratively when Dolores has these sort of like you know basically she she halts and catches fire basically as a as a robot yeah. and and and, and, has to, and has to do the reboot um she sees the man in black Instead of the guy Instead who was the guy coming, yeah. because that has already happened, and then she runs right. off. Well, she rides off on the horse. Or to Jimmy is the Simpson. man in black supposed to be some kind of like basically rogue code liberator? And so then it becomes the Matrix. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But then they isn't there a line in there where they talk about like that guy paid for like the amount of money he spent? Yes, let him yeah. do everyone. No, he, yeah. he says that. Yeah. Um. I have two two. I have one theory that I want to throw out, and then and then I have a question for Jason about the show in general. One is, yeah. I I don't know if we've talked fully about this on the show, but one thing that I do like is that aficionados of the original film this is based on, mm-hmm. the Will Brenner film, have informed me right that there is not I've, just a West World. Yeah, there's Roman World. Right, there's a Roman World, and yeah, is medieval it, world. Is medieval World, yeah. And so the idea, one thing that I unabashedly love about this, the potential for the show, is that we could be this. Like we could be, you know, uh, spurs deep into this Western world and it could change on a dime and there could be another world and it could be a completely different set of genre tropes and a completely different setting. Yeah. I really like that. What would you do if we had a hard cut Mm. and it was just like three Ewoks Mm -hmm. sitting in front of like a joystick? (laughs) What would I? What would I do physically, yeah. or what would I say on the podcast? Would you just throw up the X like Des Bryant? Yeah. <laughs> I would probably do my first ever spit take. I don't think I've ever actually done a spit take. Um, yeah. The other thing, so I hope that is coming. I imagine they'll play with that idea in, in some capacity. They've said they won't. They said Westworld is the world. Well, they 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 might not be honest with us. Yeah, this is the thing: is that these these like not these specific people, but the bad robot squad are the people who are like Khan is not in this Star Trek yeah, movie. Yeah, absolutely not. An <laughs> yeah. right, original right. villain. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, but Jason, the thing, the, the the angle I wanted to ask you about is as a gamer, you enjoy yeah. the video games, yeah. and not only do you enjoy them, I do. You have to put up with me emailing you every three to six weeks begging you to let me come over and play video games because I just want to know what they're like now. Um, It might be why you haven't moved to LA yet because you finally have some distance between us. They're too good now. I'll tell you that. So what I wanted to know is, isn't some aspect of video games still dependent on a kind of uncanny valley, not in the traditional sense, but existing between the player and the game? Because there was a moment in last night's episode where uh, the woman who Chris and I were talking about before, who I just think she, she's just she's ride or die in the game. She's the guest who, who shoots the rifle with Teddy and then goes upstairs for a little roll in the hay and then accompanies him on the quest. She seems like a she's she, she seems like a pretty avid hardcore gamer. She seems to know what's up. And there's a moment when they are riding on this new storyline to get uh, Wyatt, and uh, the sheriff and Teddy are talking. And they're basically it's basically exposition. They're basically unspooling the backstory, the Teddy backstory. And that rem- that's basically maybe that's where I left off with video games, right? You know, you choose to go on a, a quest, whether it's like in a Final Fantasy game or Grand Theft Auto, and the people you're with will have a chat. And a lot of people like to just X button through the chat, but it's giving you some backstory. Isn't there a necessary distance, though, where, like, you don't actually want to be fucking on the horse about to get into a gun battle? Like, do you think that the way video games have increased exponentially during our lifetime, do you think it's plausible that people really would want to go to that next level? Because what she then has to endure, to my mind, seemed pretty psychologically traumatizing. But and maybe not necessarily video games the isn't game. the right way to look at it. Maybe it's well, more like adventure sports. But I want to ask. But I want to ask purely from a video game perspective, and then I'll go to you as the adventure sports <laughs> expert. <laughs> well, to be clear, Patagonia over here. To be clear, yeah. <laughs> I think Young North Face. You <laughs> like haunted hayrides, Fuck which yeah. is crazy to me, yeah. and I would never in a billion years do it. So let's put the question to the video gamer, and then to the haunted hayride maven. Okay. To you first, Jason. Yeah, I think it's an interesting. I, I think it's an interesting question. Like, it's something I've been thinking about as a person who plays a lot of first-person shooters. Like, how how realistic 
can this get before you start to find it creepy? You know, like there's, uh, I just reviewed Gears of War for The Ringer. Um, and that game is like extraordinarily gory, but they pitch it in a certain way that um, aesthetically comes off as almost cartoonish. You know, mm-hmm. it's like the Roadrunner, like you shoot some of the shotgun and they explode into little parts and it's not disgusting so much as it's just like, oh, whoa, that was crazy. Um, but as, it, and, it, and it's something, and it's kind of a trend you've seen in shooters like over the last year, like as, as um, realism has become more possible, um, mm-hmm. you've seen games like Overwatch come out that kind of like pull back. It's like we have to pull back from this because it, it's, um, it's almost a little too troubling. Um, I think that there's, I, I, this is a discussion I was having with people on Twitter, like I think that there are, you don't even realize how necessary the distance is when you play games that are like super violent. You play GTA and it's, yes, you're gunning down people in the street, but it's never, you're never confused as to uh, if it's real. You know what I mean? Like there, there's, ne- there's never not a divide between the fact that you're playing a video game. And I think um, that is to me the most interesting um thought that Westworld puts out there is what like what in a reality where you could play video games that are absolutely seamless um what then what does that mean morally yeah Um, that's interesting to me and the connection between that and experiential games or some sort of like real life rpg is i so i don't think that those people in the cult are hosts you know, in, the, I think in, the, in the in the in the new backstory, the yeah, Teddy I think why it might be like Teddy. He's a guide, but he's a guide who takes you to the host to become a like be, you're in a death cult now. What? And I think that that is if you were to say, and Jason wrote about this last week, but it's like if you were going to pay to do, go do this, some people might pay for the scenery, and some people might pay for the sort of PG thirteen adventure or whatever, or the sex. Some people might pay to have the darkest possible experience they could have. With the sort of, because I think that the the woman who's with Teddy actually does sort of have a reaction like you would if you were vaguely aware that this was a game. She's like, that smells awful when that, and then like the guy gets shot. Remember, because they're like, go touch him. And then it's like, he comes back to life. And I think that her thing is almost like, this is like, this roller coaster is a little too steep right now. But it's not like I'm completely like, and the guy too who's there with them who's like, this is too much. Like, I'm out of here. And then he gets out. Uh, yeah. Uh, or we think he does. But the people who are in the cult are basically, they've gone up a level and they're like, my idea of fun is riding around the desert wearing masks. And basically, this idea that the farther away you get from civilization, the more stripped away of narrative, the more narratives become unmoored well, to traditional. Well, these things only work if you buy in. And yeah, so when absolutely. you go on a. Same thing we, with watching the show, though. But that's, that's why it makes for a good conversation, if yeah. not necessarily good, good watching. But like when, Chris, when you go on a haunted hayride, like the one thing that you cannot do as people dressed as zombies are overtaking your wagon or whatever you're on. <laughs> You cannot be that you carry this with you, right? You cannot be the guy who stands up and goes, Nope, this is made up. You can I'm actually out. be the person who says, Nope, you just can't tackle them and they can't touch you. Right. There's you like an awareness the, when you, you go into a lot. I think there are some where you can sign a waiver and be like, You might get kidnapped. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> but you on this particular thing you go on, the haunted hair ride in LA, they can't touch you and you can't touch them. So it can be like they run up behind you and hit a bat against the wagon you're in or whatever, but you have that knowledge that you're somewhat safe. Well, speaking of that, the one other piece of information we should we should mention before we move on is so Jimmy Simpson gets shot and gets knocked off his right. feet. And apparently that can happen, which seems to... Well, it wouldn't be fun if it couldn't hurt. But it seems to contradict what we saw with the man in black who stands in the middle well, of... Well, he's got the cheat codes. That's right. There you go. Yeah, he's been playing the game too long, so he knows the secret passages. Wait, you know. He's, he's leveled, or he's he's leveled, leveled all up, the way up. Or he's I, leveled I, up. I will say... He has mithril armor on I really for, my, for my real heads. There were a lot of like really interesting video game nods last night, like uh, Stephen Ogg. Uh, is a recurring uh, host in the game, and he played Trevor in uh, the latest Grand Theft Auto, which is, like, so oh. strange to have an actual video game character in a show about video games that's uh, sensibly based on video games. And then the whole the, the whole uh, uh, cult side quest was eerily like Red Dead Redemption uh, 
DLC, Undead Nightmare, which made Red Dead Redemption uh, Rockstar Games kind of like open world cowboy yeah. uh, game into a zombie game. So there's like, I mean, there's a lot of like interesting video game nods in this. Okay. In this well, let's we'll keep having you on because I like talking about these these theories with you. I like talking about Ewoks with you, Great. Jason. Thanks, yeah, guys. I always have. All right, talk to you soon, man. I like Ewoks. <laughs> Peace. All right. Well, thank you to Jason Concepcion for joining us. That was fun. I like talking about that stuff. And we're recording on the throne set today. It feels like old times. I know. Uh, Andy, let's talk a little bit about Goliath, um, because it's the new David E. Kelly show on Amazon starring Billy Bob Thornton, mm-hmm. William Hurt, yeah, uh, Maria Bello, sure. um, Molly Parker, Molly Parker, Olivia Thirlby. I think it's is it Trilby. Is it? I think so. Nah. I'm pretty sure. Really? I've always thought so. <laughs> Color... What a, what a weird break of my streak of getting things pronounced right. That's exactly right. What about um, Tanya Raymond, who played uh, Ben's daughter on uh, on uh, Lost? No way. Yeah, she plays a hooker, which is just <laughs> what a delight it must be to read those lines. Um, I texted you as I was about 10, 15 minutes into the show. Yeah. And I was like, is Goliath good? What did I say? No. <laughs> I did say no. And then I got to the end of Goliath, and I and I, I kind of agree with you. I mean, like, I basically, my attitude about Goliath in a less loving way is um, a lot about like what I thought about The Ranch, which was, this is a show that should just be on CBS, yes. that they have put on a streaming service, yes. gotten absolutely, like, about as close to A-list talent as you can kind of yes. want to get without having an actual box office superstar in it, and then loosened up the the, the 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 sort of controls a little bit to allow for cursing and heavy drinking and this stuff but essentially it's just like the verdict meets gets grishamized yep and is like a a tough case for a, a tough lawyer up against a big corporation I think you're exactly right to look at it through those terms I think we to, I think this is the kind of show where it's worth looking at from a industry and business perspective almost as much as a creative perspective uh this show was originally called trial and um it was a really really big sale david e kelly um one of the kind of unfairly overlooked now because he was a maestro of broadcast yeah, tv absolutely um from uh i mean well, Ally mcbeal from ally mcbeal to boston public to boston legal and the practice um picket fences Picket Fences, that's the one I was trying to reach for. Uh, he came from the Stephen Bochco school. So he did some L.A. law, right? Yes. And he was the dude who, like Sorkin, wrote everything himself. Mm-hmm. Just wrote, 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 and was just this machine. And his shows were always very clever and uh, verbose and emotionally interesting. and but Formally always, inventive? Yeah, but also plot. Always yeah, plot. Blah, blah, and blah. so, you know, he worked really well within, like, it's a school. It's a law firm. And then he could just come up with yep. a billion stories within those those worlds. He has struggled to find a foothold in the post-prestige universe. I don't know whether that's by choice because he's married to Michelle Pfeiffer and probably has a great <laughs> I life. Think he also has a house made of money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he doesn't need to. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. he there hasn't been like a hot David E. Kelly show in a minute. Sometimes those those guys because did you see about how like um they're basically like the, Steve Bannon, the guy who's Trump's CEO of his campaign, doing a great job by the way. And Bang you know why Bannon. he has like the money to to flit around and do stuff like this Seinfeld royalties yeah he bought a piece of Seinfeld royalties when they sold it to TBS or something and he I, I, has like he had points early and so when the TV yeah. so when it went to syndication it just will pay forever so these guys who have like old TV money yeah like it's they they light their money cigars with money it's a very very different thing <laughs> yeah, yeah they, their tobacco is little bits of shredded money yeah. rolled in bigger money that they light with money um speaking of rolling things in money Amazon so yeah so they had this project, and basically it was sold off of a, I don't know if it was a pitch or if they had the pilot, but it was given a series, straight-to-series commitment by Amazon. It was a hot ticket, and it was the idea that they would get a major star. I don't know if Billy Bob Thornton was attached, and it would go straight-to-series. And it was built to be this, you know, it's not it's not a prestige vehicle as it is an eyeball vehicle. Like, Amazon knows what, knows what it's doing in the sense that what they want... They have shows like Transparent, which are going to be nominated for Emmys and um, break through culturally in a lot of different levels and are essentially excellent. Um, similarly, Catastrophe and Fleabag. These shows get buzz and mm-hmm. get acclaim and bring in creators. 
but they need people to watch the shows too. And those yeah. shows are not they don't they won't let us know, but I would imagine they they're not getting broadcast procedural numbers. So this is an attempt to kind of bridge the two worlds. Right. This is the kind of show that, you know. They also have shows like Bosch who which are like a little bit more traditional. And I think Goliath's a little closer to Bosch probably. It's and- a little bit closer to Bosch, but it's still a little bit um glitzier and brighter, both yeah. in the star wattage and in terms of that sort of network. What's up with being in the high castle? Appeal. When is that coming back? I think it's expensive and slow thing to make. But, but that's, that's like g- their most popular show, isn't it? That's or the show least... they went all in on right. to be their show, but they'll never let us know what actually was their most popular show. Bosch just got renewed for two more seasons, um, so Why that not? must be doing you pretty well. I mean, like, I'm sure that, that, that those books have such like a built-in fa- exactly. Fan base, yeah. But this is this is a much bigger play to get a show that people are going to be really, really watching, like that you that we would watch or our parents might watch or whoever. Um, the my main experience watching the show was that it really felt like David E. Kelly was psyched to see what he could do off of a network, mm-hmm. but he couldn't shake the training. And that's not always bad to shake the training, but I'll, let me give you two examples. The show begins with two um, Spanish-speaking fishermen on a boat. First of all, I'm in. I love it. These guys are speaking Spanish to each other yeah. with subtitles. But then they do the network TV thing where after three volleys of Spanish back and forth, they switch to English. And that's the kind of universal, you're in safe hands here, Grandpa, that network TVs and movies tend to do when characters are speaking another language. And it drives me fucking crazy. Yeah. They did not need to switch to switch to English, but they did. And that just felt like the kind of thing that he probably just typed that. That was probably a default macro on his final draft that it would do that. Mm-hmm. The flip side of that is the characters on this show smoke a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> Everybody is constantly smoking cigarettes at inopportune times and even referencing in, in modern day California. Yes. Where you're basically not allowed you have to smoke a cigarette in up inside of a pothole. You have to go to Westworld yeah. to smoke a cigarette <laughs> yeah. if you want to yeah. smoke a cigarette in California. Yeah, yeah. My only takeaway from that is that David E. Kelly must be a cigarette smoker and he knows that network TV shows banned the smoking of cigarettes by characters a decade ago and he wanted to see what he could do. So it's I'm watching this whole thing through that prism of what they're trying to do versus what they're not doing. And I found the whole thing essentially inert because of it, because it has these great actors and it wants to deal with these more mature subjects like smoking. Right. <laughs> but it can't get out of its own way. And is essentially a, a broadcast network show, which in and of itself isn't a crime, but it's stuck in this middle. That's I think kind of you're uncomfortable. just for this show. I think it's well done. And I, I think Billy Bob is just like a very, very charismatic, engaging actor. Yeah. Um, I like him better when he's the embodiment of evil as he was on Fargo than as I don't this, know. I, I, I'm into Friday Night Lights, Billy. Yeah, and I, I'm into uh, yeah, and fair. I don't mind. I mean, like this is sort of more close to Bad Santa. It's I'm, like I'm Bad into Lord. Primary Colors, Billy. If we're gonna get real into it, wow. Yeah. Um, you know what? This brings up like, mentioning the uh, older movie. I did want. I wanted to bring this up. Uh, what is the? Is William Hurt one of the most unique character like actors that we've ever seen? Yes. Here's the thing. I, c- I couldn't really think of who William Hurt is today. Like, William Hurt is still William Hurt today, and he's, like, still getting Avengers money and, you know, but, like, the idea of, like, William Hurt being in broadcast news and being a heartthrob and being, like, a huge star. No. You know, what about, um, who's the, what about who's, Body Heat? Yeah. I body mean, Heat. Uh, is he in Children of Lesser Altered God? States? I can't remember. Yeah. But, yeah. Like, who is the William Hurt today? It's a really good question because William Hurt like is really weird. William Hurt is so cerebral, so weird, but not that articulate. I mean, articulate, but not like verbose. He's not like glib. Because I was trying to imagine what if William Hurt had done Will McAvoy, right? Um, because those guys are similar, like both kind Jeff of Daniels and William sort Hurt. of broke around the same time. Jeff Daniels in terms of endearment and all that stuff, but like Jeff Daniels has now become like the master of Sorkin theater guy. And it's just like a f- solid, solid character actor. Like you put Jeff Daniels yeah. in your movie, it goes up 2%, yeah. 5%, 10%. William Hurt, like what's up with William Hurt? I mean, <laughs> legendarily, he was real tough to work with and oh, really? stopped getting a lot of work because of that. That, that's, that was always what the, the People magazine scuttlebutt was, that he was tough. He was a, sort of a tough hang. Really? Very, very serious. In the same way that like a lot of serious actors are too serious to, to just have fun with on set. And that does affect people. But... It is very unique. I mean, remember he he top lined the Lost in Space reboot with Matt LeBlanc. Jesus he has Christ. the weirdest, weirdest career. And there are precedent, plenty of precedent for like people who are essentially weird actors miscast, quote unquote, as leading men. But they rarely sort of tumble into this weird sideways verse like he did. Like his last performance on TV was in the AMC show um, Humans. Oh yeah, and that's he right. was 
really good in it. He was the best thing in it um, as this guy who doesn't want to give up his robot caretaker because he's grown attached to him in right. a paternal way. Um, so in this show, to bring it back to Goliath, I mean, he has a scarred face and he's clicking something and he is basically turned up to what's higher than 100. Like, what is the emoji that Spinal Tap has? Because that's what he's he is like on full, in the show. He's going full Val Kilmer in this one. That's Well, that's another example of an act. That's a perfect example even though they're kind of um peers both william hurt and val kilmer are good actors who look like leading men who are tough to work with who are secretly super weird and then that's stopped being a secret pretty quickly okay but do you want to let's go just bring it back to goliath do you want to watch more of this show not in today's current landscape right just just too much i appreciate it that it's only eight episodes yeah but there are just these little things like you know, we talk a lot about how we wish things would go back to like individual episode pacings or episodes or mm-hmm. episodes. And so there's a there's a speed to this that I didn't mind that he's basically he's called out of retirement in like 11 minutes oh, of script yeah. time. It it's takes very him like economical. 10 minutes to get back on the horse. Literally, well, in this case, the horse is the woman who came to like bring him onto the case and yeah, he sleeps yeah. with her because he's an irresistible alcoholic. <laughs> you just don't, you know, it just doesn't... It, it, it's caught in this un, uncomfortable middle, I think, between two different kinds of shows. But I do think it probably accomplishes what um, they set out to do. They set out to do. And as a final note, Kelly back, Chris. I don't know if before <laughs> Westworld last night you caught the ad for the big mini Body of Lies. Is it Body of Lies? Lie to me. Keep going. No. Big. Li- little Big Lies. Big Little Lies. It, obviously, they need work on the title. I agree. It's like a not a memorable title. Body of lies. But Kelly, David E. Kelly wrote this for. Number one queen of the watch, Reese, Reese, Reese Witherspoon. Shailene Reese and Nicole is is quite a trifecta. Adam Scott, yeah. Zoe Kravitz, Laura Dern. I, I paused to put your own <laughs> profanity in the middle of it. But that's that's in the Kellyverse, man. Uh, where's Wendy Malick? Seems like she should be in that movie, that Wendy, show. Wendy Malick should be back. When yeah. is When's Malik back? I don't know. Uh, we'll figure that out Thursday. Hopefully we'll have a special guest on Thursday's re-up. We'll be talking about Atlanta. Until then, Andy... Great job. Great job, Ratsky! <laughs> Thanks again to Falling Water. What if someone could walk out of their dream and into yours? What if they could use your dreams against you without you ever knowing? This Thursday, USA Network presents Falling Water, a new original drama where the battle for your dreams is real. And it happens while you sleep because those of us who can control dreams can control the world. Brought to you by the producers of a couple of our favorites, like The Walking Dead and Homeland. Falling Water is a new original series that airs Thursday at 10, 9 central, only on the USA Network. And thanks again to Sonos for sponsoring us today. You guys know Sonos. That's the smart speaker system. It streams all your favorite music to any room or every room. You can control your music with one simple app. You can fill your home with pure, immersive sound. I gotta tell you, I love using my Sonos app to listen to all my music services and music I even own myself, my own collection. You can listen to it, control it, play it in multiple rooms at once, play a different song in your living room, bedroom. You could even play it in your bathroom if you're feeling nutty. Or you could just play the same track in every room. You can add to your existing music services or discover something new with Sonos. Sonos. 